Okay, only if you're 35 and younger can you name the tune. Okay, those 35 and over name the tune. Leave it to Beaver, that's it. We are launching a new series today, and we're going to talk about money. And I'll explain in just a second, but for some of you who are thinking, I may have seen these graphics before, that's because we're actually doing something that we've never done before. I am rebooting a sermon series that I've done many, many years ago because the teaching is still so relevant today. Now, it's funny, in preparation for this, I went back and I looked at the previous sermons and I found some interesting anachronistic things at this point, such as what some of you are not going to understand these terms when we talk about money, but there's, there used to be a thing called a checkbook. And there wasn't things called Venmo, Cash App, and Bitcoin, okay? So those did not exist the first time that I delivered this. But here's what I believe to be true. Even though our apps have changed when it comes to money, our attitudes have not. Our cultural attitudes and the flow of culture when it comes to money is a challenge for us all. Now, I know that when a preacher gets up and starts talking about money, we want to roll our eyes and go somewhere else, right? I, I get it, because so many of us have an abuse story where somebody that does what I do, or some leader in a church somewhere, started asking for money, and they made the police, they made it sound very spiritual, and they put the screws to you, and then they stole the funds, they embezzled the funds, they did something incredibly inappropriate with the funds. I grew up in the 80s, and one thing that marked the 80s was there was scandal after scandal after financial scandal with tele-evangelists, and it seemed like the entire religious world was out scamming everybody. And so, before you turn me off, before you turn off the live stream, before you try to figure out a way to sneak out of the room right now, I'm going to ask that you give me a chance, because what I hope to bring to you is some insight from God's Word that even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, even if you're not yet saying, I'm on board with what God's agenda and God's plan, His mission for my life is, that you will find truthful insight and true principles in what we're going to talk about through this series, that there's something inside of you, okay, I may not buy everything else, but that, that rings with some truth. And if you'll at least pay attention, this is a way that God can begin to show you that He can be trusted. If you'll just let him. And I know it gets awkward when we talk about money, but if you'll give it a chance, I'm asking you to just give it a chance and see if there's not some blessing for you 
in here. Now, some of you may be at the end of the life where the things that we talk about, you say, I wish I had heard that many years ago. Some of you are at the beginning of your careers, or you're in high school, or you're in college, and you're just about to launch out. I'm telling you, if you will take to heart what we're going to talk about over these four weeks, it will be life changing for you. And there are several people who are at the other end of the life that if they could take the microphone, they would say, pay attention to this. I wish I had. And so this is relevant for all of us, especially relevant given our current economic situation. Why? Because there's lots of anxiety in our world right now. And if you follow any kind of news cycle, if you follow any kind of uh, website that deals with finances, it just seems to be so gloom and doom. I mean, we live in a world where eggs have become a luxury item, right? I mean, you're trying to figure out, did the chickens get an upgrade all of a sudden? Because, But we're all concerned about it. And so I want you to understand from the very beginning... That this is not a give me some money type series. I know it's easy when a preacher gets up, the, the, the takeaway message can easily be give more. And that's the only thing you walk away with. That's not what this is. This is not what I want for you or what the leadership, that's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. In fact, so this is going to undergird the whole thing. This is the thesis statement of the whole series right here. If you put that up, Crystal. This is not about what God wants from you. This is only about what God wants for you. And there is a way that if you'll handle your finances, as God instructs, that you will find a blessing. Now, one more disclaimer. I do not believe... And do not preach what is popularly known as the prosperity gospel. Or maybe you've heard me say it this way, the health and wealth gospel. The health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, says that God's number one rule is that he's going to rain down upon you material blessings. And all you have to do is if you'll give God a dollar, he'll multiply it by ten and give you ten dollars back. If you'll give him a hundred dollars, he'll give you a thousand dollars. And we talk about this as if God's on the hook. God's on, is in some kind of contract with us that his number one job is to make sure that we're healthy and wealthy and successful. The challenge about that is that gospel can kind of make sense to us in this country. But it does not hold any kind of water whatsoever when you take it around the world and you start talking about it in a third world country. Where faithful people live in poverty, they would look at us and say, where's the God that you're talking about? And any gospel that cannot be preached around the world is no gospel at all. And so we're going to look at what the actual promise of God is, and the promise of God is not wealth, but peace. Now, your immediate reaction may be, do I get to pick? Because I'll take the wealth. 
study after study after study over decades shows wealth does not equal peace. In fact, I can show you the studies where the wealthier a group of people that were in the study got, the more anxious they became, the more neurotic they became, the more stressed out they became. The promise of God is not wealth, but it is peace. And peace is in scarcity today, is it not? Even in this economic climate, you can have peace. That's why we're going to launch into this series. And we've been fortunate enough to find two families. Both are named Jones. Coincidentally, they live next door to each other. The houses from the outside look identical to each other. And on the inside, there's a world of difference. Because one set of Jones is taking their cues from culture. And they're listening to what the world would have to say about money and finances and how you go about navigating their financial world. But on the other side, we have a family that's taking their cues from God and from Scripture. And what we'll discover is on one side there is great stress and there's great anxiety and there's fighting. And oftentimes the discussion gets loud and angry and people go to bed mad at each other. And there's always stress. And on another, and this set of Jones doesn't make any more money. They don't live any in a different neighborhood. They live in this neighborhood, and yet there's somehow there's peace here. And if the two were to come together for a barbecue, one set would be asking the set, how do you do it if they were willing to take down the walls just a little bit and be vulnerable. So that's what we're going to look at in this series, these two sets of Joneses. And what I want you to know as we get into the series is this is all about the lordship. So your money and your finances are a lordship question. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that may sound like a strange thing to say. And in fact, here's what I want to encourage you with. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I want you to listen to these things. I want you to consider because I think you're going to find them true. But these things apply to Christians. These are the commandments and the directions that those of us that say Jesus is Lord, this is how we should organize our life. And what God calls us to in the area of finances, in the area of our money, is it's a lordship question. And the way that we usually do this is... God, I want you to be Lord over most of my life. I want you to take the lordship of my career and my marriage and my kids. Please help the kids, God. And then God says, great. I want to be Lord over your wallet as well. And that's where we say, no, I've got that, God. 
you focus on the kids and the marriage and the career and my health and all these other things, but I'll take care of this one. We have to realize that if, Lord, if God's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. But when it comes to money, we just think that God wants more of our money, right? We just think that it, when we talk about money in church, we just think God wants more of my money. Can, can I just be blunt for one second here? If your view of God is that he wants more of your money, then your view of God is way too small. Because if God wants more of your money, you know what God will do? He'll take it. Because he's God. The United States government takes it. God's bigger. God is not up in heaven saying, I really wish that you would give more of my money because I'm in need of it. What God wants and what we're going to learn through this series is that God wants your heart. So look at this. God's not after your money, but he is after your heart. And we're going to see some things that Jesus says today that shows you that there is a competition in the world for your heart. And God calls out his greatest rival in that. I'm going to go to the words of Jesus. And what you need to understand is that Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven, hell, grace, and several other topics combined. Jesus said a lot about money. And if we're going to be people that take following Jesus seriously, then we need to take seriously what he says about our money. And so, if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6. I've got these scriptures in the scripture um, resource section for the message today. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 19, so go ahead and find that. And if you've got a pencil or a pen or something, if you're actually using a regular Bible that you can write in, I want you to be ready to do that. I want you to highlight some things digitally if you can. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching. Now, these are the words of Jesus. And what I want to show you is how unbelievably relevant these words are to us today. Again, our apps may have changed, but our attitude hasn't changed. And Jesus is going to speak right into our hearts, right into our situation today. So one thing is, if you're not sure if you can trust the Bible or if it seems old and dated, pay attention to these words. Because they were spoken 2,000 years ago, and yet they matter today. And this is how relevant Jesus' teachings are. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now the verse that I want you to circle and highlight and commit to memory is this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you're writing in your Bible or you're taking notes, you just want to write next to that, Timeless 
principle. Jesus is making a statement of fact about you and about me. He has given us insight into ourselves. And so what he says is, the temptation is always going to be for me to gather treasure together. Gather money and stuff. Things. Let me buy more. We live in the world where Amazon makes it so convenient just to buy more. I mean, we have one-click buying now. And it's easy to store up. Some of us have a storage problem. We've got so much stuff, we go rent space for our stuff. Our stuff doesn't live with us. We buy it or we rent it another place for it to live. And then occasionally we go by and visit our stuff. See how Jesus just knew how we would be. Because he created us. And he understands our temptations. He understands your temptations. So he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Get to that in just a second. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He is saying, if I want to find out where your heart is, if you want to find out where my heart is, you look at my finances. You don't find out my heart by looking at my sermon notes. You don't find out my heart by simply going through my um, archive and my library. You don't find out my heart just by visiting my house. But you pay attention to my finances. And then you find out where my heart is. Because... Where my treasure is, there is my heart. Jesus is saying, and do not miss this, your treasure and your heart are linked together. They do not operate independent of one another. Now, to help illustrate this, I used a certain illustration last time I taught this. And it made everybody mad. So we're going to do it again. <laughs> a thought experiment is this. Imagine if we had been worshiping like we were just a little bit ago with MJ leading our worship. And outside we heard sirens. And after a few moments, everything quieted down. One of our shepherds came up, took the stage, right in between songs, and said, you may have heard the sirens, we discovered there's a group of students going through our parking lot vandalizing cars. The police have come. They're apprehended. Now we can continue to worship. Don't send me an email, okay? How difficult would it be for you to continue to worship? Because now you're wondering, was it my car? Did, did they do something to my car? Some of you may be thinking, I don't know if I could tell if mine was vandalized or not. <laughs> but for most of us, even though we were in the moment of worshiping the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings... 
because a part of our heart is parked out in the parking lot, we would get really uneasy and find a need to go out there and see if our car had been affected, correct? It's so true because it just cuts right to our hearts, right? I, I actually had saw an opposite take on this, sort of the opposite dynamic that proves the point as well. Several months back, if you remember, there was the tornado that hit Jacksboro Independent School District. And it's kind of a unique moment for me because my cousin is the superintendent for the Jacksboro School District. And so I started seeing on Facebook the news feeds that was interviewing him. They interviewed two different people. They interviewed my cousin, the superintendent, and they interviewed an elementary school teacher. And the good news of the story was that even though the tornado threatened, came very close, in fact, damaged most of the, uh, the high school in a severe way, nobody was injured, no child, no parents. They interviewed this elementary teacher who was on a different campus, and the tornado struck right at pickup line time. So, like, if you've ever been in a school pickup line, you know it, it takes forever, and so everybody's just sitting in their cars, and so the teachers did a great job, <clears throat> the staff did a great job getting all the parents out of their cars, getting them into the storm shelters. Again, no injuries, could have been great, no injuries, <clears throat> No, um, no fatalities from that, from that storm. They're interviewing the elementary school teacher, and they're on the campus with her. And she says the most fascinating thing. She's talking about how grateful she is that all of her students and all of the kids and all the faculty and all the parents, how they're all safe and how successful they were. And then she says, now, I understand that my house has, doesn't have a roof on it anymore. I guess I'll find out about that when I get home. She hadn't even taken the time... She knew that her roof had been blown off of her house, but she knew where her treasure was. And so she is only focused on the kids, the students, the friends, the faculty. And she knew where the treasure was. And so her roof being gone was something that she was going to deal with later at the appropriate time. Where our treasure is, there our heart is. And so many of us have our treasure invested in stuff. And we're always pursuing stuff. And we chase after it, and there's kind of this appetite in us, and we keep pursuing, going more and more deep. And what Jesus is saying is that where your treasure is, your heart is linked there. And you know this to be true. If you've ever made an investment in a stock, you got the hot stock tip, right? You don't even know what the company does. But suddenly, three little letters going across the feed of, on the bottom of your computer screen you care about because part of your treasure went there. And what Jesus is saying is, if, if we're going to move from a house where there's stress and anxiety to a house that experiences this peace that is promised us, then we've got to change our investment strategy. And so what's powerful about this principle is that it works both directions. <clears throat> Not only can I tell where your heart is by where your treasure is, you can direct your heart with your treasure. So Jesus is saying, send your treasure where you want your heart 
to go. You, you want to change your heart? What, what doesn't happen is you don't, you don't sit around and wait, God, I need to change my heart, and then when I change my heart, then I'll redirect my treasure. God says, start sending your treasure where you want the heart to go. Now, there may be a small delay, but it'll only be a small delay, and your heart will catch up. And you send your heart into the things that you want to invest in, the things that have an eternal consequence and matter to them. So you invest in church. You invest in charities. You invest in others. And suddenly your heart will begin to move into that and you will find yourself caring and being far more bought in. It's one of the reasons that we do practice stewardship at this church is because we want you all in. Remember, God's Lord of all, not just part. And if he has your whole heart and you're invested in the things of God and you're sending a portion of your treasures, that way your heart will go and you will find your heart falling more and more in love with what you're investing in. That's the power of this principle. Change your investment strategy. He goes on. If you would, jump down with the verse 24 with me. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is a strange sentence here. Because you cannot serve both God and... If you had left that blank... And said, guess the answer. Guess what Jesus says next. I would have said, you can't serve God and Satan. That makes sense. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is aware that the chief competitor against your heart, for the throne of your heart, is going to be your treasure. Money throughout all of Scripture is not treated as an inanimate object. In other words, it's not neutral. It's not like a brick, a piece of wood. It's, it's not neutral in what it does. Scripture always refers to money as not the God, but a God, little g. And what Jesus is telling us here is that if you want to identify the chief competitor for the God to sit on the throne of your heart, then it's always going to be your money. That's where the competition comes in. And we've got to recognize that as people that want to make Jesus Lord of all of our lives. Now, this, this may be where you want to push back just a little bit. <clears throat> you say, okay. Scott, I may have misspent money, <clears throat> but I've never worshipped money. I mean, that's, you're pushing it a little far there. So let me confess a time in my life, and maybe you can relate to this. If you've gone through that season of your life, that 19 to 24-ish <clears throat> season, that right past high school and college or trade school or starting your career or whatever, <clears throat> those are usually, for most of us, the leanest years of our life, right? 
I mean, I went through college and I lived off nothing. You know, ramen noodle, okay? I'm, I'm living off, uh, I'm sleeping on a mattress on the, not a bed, a mattress on the floor, living off ramen noodle. <clears throat> you know what? And I was fine. You know, it, it was great. I didn't know any better then. Um, I didn't know you could sleep off the floor. You know, that was kind of exciting. But <clears throat> this is how I'm living. And then as I moved into the next chapter of my life, and I started working and started in, in my ministry career, <clears throat> I got something after a few weeks of working. It's called a paycheck. Now, <clears throat> it wasn't much money then. But it was more money than I was used to in my whole life. And it just seemed like I am now the richest person in the world. So, here's the confession. What I did not do is I did not go into prayer and pray to prayer that said something like, Heavenly Father, you are the God that blesses me richly. I now have access to more money than I've had previously in my life. Will you please show me how I should live with this? No. What I did, and maybe this is what you did, is I went to that paycheck, and there's a box on it. And the box has numbers in it. And the numbers are preceded by a dollar sign. And I looked at that box, and that box is where I got my permission to live at the lifestyle I was going to live at. Do you understand what I'm talking about? In other words, <clears throat> my conversation wasn't with God, it was with the paycheck. And my life had been fine down here, living, living meagerly, but I didn't know any better. And suddenly I could afford a lifestyle up here. So instead of having the conversation with God, I had it with the paycheck, and the paycheck gave me permission. And so what did I do? I revved up the lifestyle to match the paycheck. And some of you revved it up and went beyond with the paycheck. And now there's no margin. And there's no peace. Now, I would not have told you I'm worshiping money, but you see, I'm asking money permission to live a certain way. Instead of asking my heavenly Father to live that way. And the struggle is, and this is what you've got to believe about God, is that He's a heavenly Father that wants something for you. He wants the peace that comes from following Him. And culture wants to bait you a different direction. And it wants to call you to live without margin and to live where you're stressed out and you're maxing out your credit cards and you're trying to pay the minimums and you think that's good, sound financial advice because so many other people are doing it. And we can't all be wrong, right? So the paycheck, the money, my treasure becomes a God. And I start falling into a trap mentally. That I think what God has given me is mine. Have you made that mistake? That 
when God gives you something, He blesses you with something, it's mine. One more scripture. First Chronicles 29, 11. If you just want to write down the, the reference, and I encourage you to go back and read this later. It says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. If you understand the Hebrew, it means all of it is yours, O Lord. We've got to change our mindsets when it comes to the things that we've been blessed with. Whether you've been blessed with a little or you've been blessed with a lot, none of it is yours. None of it is mine. We are not owners, but we are managers. You are a manager, not an owner, of all that God has blessed you with. And there's the mindset change that we need to begin with to change this entire, as we go through this entire series, to understand that what you've been given by God, you've been given to manage. And like any good manager, God expects you to handle his stuff in a certain way. What, one of the things that's so stressful about money is we just lose track of where it goes, right? Have you ever made that phrase? I don't know where it all goes by the end of the month. As if gremlins come into your house... And sneak off with your dollars somehow. See, money comes in, money goes out, and we just need to know where it is. There shouldn't be a mystery there. This is one thing that I'll work when I work with um, premarital couples as they come in. I'll ask them, we'll talk a lot about money because money stresses out marriages unbelievably. So I'll ask him. I said, "I need you to track your, your. I want you to track your money for about three months, so it sees what it actually costs you to live on. Get a grip of that. Come to understand it, and then we can start talking about where you set your priorities and do that." I've never yet had a couple come back to me and say that killed our marriage. We knew where it all went. We were just happier living in ignorance. It stressed us out. No. If, if you hired a money manager and you turned all your finances over to him and you went in to see him one day and his office is a mess, you say, hey, I need to see the books on my money. He says, well, I don't really keep track of that. It's out there somewhere, but we're good. You're like, yeah, goodbye. We're done. So I'm going to give you a challenge. As we move from this owner to manager mindset, and all that God has is a gift to us, but it's only on loan to us. So I'm going to challenge you for seven days. Track your money. We've created some ledgers that you're going to be able to pick up as you leave today. Track your money. If you go to Starbucks, write it down. If you go to Walmart, write it down. If you pay a bill, write, write it down. Even if it's something... It's seemingly insignificant, and maybe it's just a few dollars. Write it down. We're going to take the mystery out of where it goes. And let me be clear. I'm not asking you to change your spending habits this week. I'm just asking you to become aware of them. <clears throat> and honestly, the younger you are, 
the more I want you to do this so that you find a direction in your life early about this. But just track it. And see what God reveals to you in that about where your treasure's going. And that will be step number one. As we become managers of all that God has given us. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And what Jesus wants is not your treasure. He wants your heart. So we're going to find out where our treasure's going so we can learn where our heart is. Because that's what Jesus wants. The one that was willing to lay down his life, give up all the treasure of heaven, make that sacrifice because you were more valuable than anything else. You are his treasure and you can tell it because that's exactly where his heart went let me pray for us heavenly father i I acknowledge it's awkward when we talk about money father i pray that you would help us to not be defensive in this moment because we've got something that we want to hide or we're embarrassed by we're ashamed of or We just don't know how to talk about these things, but that we'd bring it out into the open for you, that you would become Lord of all. Father, I pray for anyone that's hearing this for the very first time, and maybe they've had their finances all upside down, and this is brand new information to them. Would you begin to show them how they can trust you in this? Father, help us to move from a home of anxiety to a home of of peace. Father, help us to acknowledge that all things come from you and that we are simply managing what you've been so gracious to share with us. I'm grateful for the one that laid down his life so that we may be your treasure in heaven. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.